0: The creators who brought you RuPaul's Drag Race and Million Dollar Listing. This is World of Wonder's Wow Report. Things that make us go wow. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's edition of the Wow Report, where we count down the top 10 things this past week that made us go wow. wow. That's right. I am Fender Bailey, co founder of World of Wonder, joined by my partners in crime, Chief Creative Officer Tom Campbell. Happy
1: December, Fenton.
0: Oh, yes. Festive greetings to you, too. And uh, sitting on a Yule log, perhaps, uh, our literary editor of the Wow Report, James A. James.
2: Wow!
0: How is your Yule log?
2: Uh, my log? You want to see my log, baby? <laughs> no, 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 you no. Know? Is that what we're doing now? We
1: just, just, on... just got back on CNN. Don't. Don't
0: show us your log. <laughs> you are supposed to put the decorations up, right? today like they're supposed to be up have you i don't i tom i don't see any christmas decorations uh no
1: i, I do it all in new hampshire when i visit my family you are
0: there. gonna have to stay tuned for our bar humbug show where we just bitch and complain about everything um for a change right <laughs> so different from today's show
2: <laughs> meanwhile
0: over here at positivity towers it's number
1: 10 Tom. <laughs> number 10 I warned you guys last week, and it's true. I went to New York for Thanksgiving. I was there from Monday to Saturday, and boy, did I get a lot done. Um, And I want to tell you mostly about the theater that I experienced, because I was a little bit tentative, you know, going to New York for the first time. Don't want to be in a theater. Well, you know, they take everybody's vaccination card. There's like a COVID team outside before you even get to the theater. They look at your ID. They actually match the name. I'm sure somebody, if they're really stupid and clever, could forge it. But, you know, you feel good about it. You wear masks during the whole thing. One of the highlights of the week was seeing the matinee on Friday of Stephen Sondheim's Company.
2: Now, and, is, wait, is Company the one with I'm Still Here or is it the one with Ladies Who Lunch?
1: Ladies Who Lunch. Thank you for asking.
2: And is that the one with I'm – uh, uh, to be being alive?
1: And it ends with being alive. Okay, Very okay. good. You passed your gay card there. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. and. If I'm correct, he was still with us on the planet when you saw it. It's a very. We're going to talk about him later, but I went. I I got my tickets last minute. I am a whore, and I got a ticket in the front row. The, the wow. stage was right here. I have the videotape of it, and um, I just want to say that he passed away that Friday morning. No one knew about it. I went to the matinee. Clearly, <laughs> no one knew about it. Patty LaPone who sings uh ladies who lunch sang it to me wow i know this because during the standing ovation where my head was in her crotch she did her bows and she shot me a look at the end kind of like i see you homosexual i see you (laughs) uh, you wonderful um when you everybody rose everybody rise um um what's special about this production it's the one that came from the uk but was postponed because of covid is they did a bunch of gender reverse the lead of, of of the original company which i've never seen is bobby and it's a guy turning 35 and it's all about whether he wants to be in relationships and so he can he 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 delves into um the different relationships of his friends and they have a woman play bobby and she's turning 35, which gives the whole fresh perspective. And, you know, you can kind of root for a woman who's 35 and single and having trouble being it sort of makes a much more modern take than a white guy. And um, there's a song also, I'm, I'm not getting married. It's like it's a very fast song. I'm not getting married, you know, thing. And it was made famous by Beth Howland, made, who is one of the waitresses on Alice, the Ditsy Vera. The oh, ditzy yeah, Vera.
2: Uh-huh.
1: That's now played by a gay couple. And so it's an amazing turn. It's a standing ovation in the middle of the show. And I all I could think of, as well as the artist who was doing it, it was wonderful, was Beth Howland, who has left us. But how that was her moment in the sun That's in 1970. That's
2: because I have been seeing pictures of Beth Howland, of Vera, with Elaine Stritch. And I've been trying to figure out where that was That's from. exactly Thank it. And then they reversed
1: out. a couple. They kept a couple the same. It is... Uh, we'll talk more about uh, Stephen Sondheim later. It is an amazing show. It is so worth seeing the way it's staged, um, and it's it's uh, Stephen Sondheim. You know, one of the many many plays where you get to see him at his best, where he's being. It, I think it was very exploratory and only slightly successful in 1970 when it arrived, and now it is it's 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 aged beautifully.
2: Interestingly. Um, You never know what song is going to define your career when you die. It's just sort of like up to the world afterwards. And it's it's since Sondheim died, I have seen um, Being Alive a thousand different times. It seems like that is one of the one takeaways from his career that is one of the high points it's a and beautiful, it's the it's
1: conclusion it's, it's the last song. it's it's the final revelation of this single I, person. I cry
2: every single time I hear it.
1: Somebody love me too much.
2: Yes. Wow. wow.
0: All right. well, we've posted links on the Wow report for more information and tickets. If you want to go see company, I've never seen it. so I, I've heard, I know, I know I, this is this, the whole episode is gonna be an education for me.
2: Honey, we can I... do a whole series of things you've never seen that we <laughs> introduce you to. I have a feeling that's our next rate podcast. It's a
0: bottomless pit, I'm telling you. <laughs> All right, number nine, James.
2: Number nine. Number nine. The Great is back on Hulu and it's season two. And it is so great. It is just my favorite TV show on the planet. It is so, f- the, the writing is so crisp. So perfect. Huzzah. Just, and this uh, is the uh, Catherine the Great. It is, it is uh Nicholas Holt plays Peter the third. Elle Fanning plays Catherine the Great. This season, um uh, there has been a coup and she has locked him, put him into house house lockdown, house arrest is under house arrest while she has taken over the country. She is trying to reform Russia. She is trying to introduce new taxes and universities and getting girls to go to school and change, you know, getting medical, changing mortality rates and building roads. And she's finding resistance every along the way for everything for a country that is mired in the past and refuses to sort of modernize um she is absolutely fantastic but it's nicholas holt who just is a revelation he just holds the whole show together he is he's like this uh entitled idiot man child is sort of the character and he it could be on paper he could be so hateful and horrible but you love him so much in the show and i was going through his imdb his career you, i don't know if you remember this he was the boy in about a boy when he was like 8 years old and then he went on to skins where he was tony he was in warm bodies the zombie love story i don't know if you remember that he was in um uh, mad max fury road he was so good in that he was in x men he's been in all the x men movies as beast um and he was in then he was in jack the giant killer which almost killed his career. It was it was a real bomb. And then he came back with um, uh, uh, something else. I can't remember. But the, <laughs> he's just he deserves all the awards. I Fenton, what are you thinking? If you want, watched- how
0: many episodes of this season have you seen?
2: I'm on five right now. Oh,
0: okay. Because me and Nolan sat down very excited to watch the first season. I mean, yeah. the first episode of the second season, and we laughed and we thought it was good, but it felt. We just felt like it hasn't really developed at all. And so we were a little bit like, oh, a little bit let down feeling. I don't know. So I guess we have to plow on, right? Does it get, does it pick up?
2: Plow on, yeah, it does. I mean, I think at this point, it's one of those things I... I, I was sort of wondering, too, where does it go? Because at a certain point, he's going to be dead and she's going to be old. And where do you, I mean, like, are they? is it going to be like the crown where they just can put different actors in? Or... But the
0: donkey. I mean, we, we've we got to be around for her fucking the donkey, right? She,
2: she keeps saying that she, everyone keeps, well, that's the funny thing because everyone has to give her tributes from around the country. And everyone keeps bringing her horses. <laughs> and she finally opens up the door and screams to everyone, I never fucked a horse because everyone keeps saying we've brought you a Shetland pony because we know how much you love them and she keeps getting madder and madder
1: <laughs> supposedly <laughs> supposedly that was a rumor started by the people who replaced her the regime that replaced her yeah. that was the way they would sabotage the history well
2: i mean it's a bit you think about this throughout history you know mary magdalene was not a whore that was something that happened during the middle ages when they decided to you know to besmirch her her reputation um clara bow never fucked a football team you know i mean like all throughout history women have always been besmirched by men who in and then history just goes along with it
0: well also these sexual myths because they think fatty arbuckle and the champagne bottle i don't think that That never
2: happened either right um, she was hemorrhaging from a a botched abortion
0: right she had that toxic shock yeah yeah and
2: so i mean but but people are always trying to you know make women into
1: whores Mm -hmm. a lie can go around the world before the truth can put on its pants or something right and it's and
2: you know hundreds of years later we're still talking about her fucking a horse poor thing bless her heart i
0: thought it was something to look forward to in the season i was excited like you were excited
2: for them no that's a porn. you can't do that no, I, if you've I, ever I, seen a porn with someone being fucked by a horse, I don't think you ever want to watch. Let's hold cannibal. on to
1: our 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 promise. Wow, report no bestiality, no uh, cannibalism, <laughs> no cannibalism. <laughs> okay.
2: Wish in one hand, shit in the other. See which.
0: Okay. Well, the great is streaming on Hulu. Tom, you've never seen it,
1: have you? I haven't. I need to. Oh my! It God.
2: is. It is. If did you watch? it, Did you see the favorite in the theater? Did you watch that movie? Yes. Yes, it is the same writer, the same producer, the same. Oh, is it? I
0: didn't realize that. Because yeah, it's, I think it's the is...
2: same. It's the same pre- team.
0: They they love that kind of decadent, incestuous, uh, hot house royal scenario stuff.
2: They do, but they also give it that modern twist where it's like nobody really spoke like that during the time. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, like the dialogue is very modern.
0: All right. Well, let's anyway, go on to number. 8. Number 8. Because it actually has a, a, a connection to number 9 and a what? connection to number 10. I went to see 6. Uh, 6. I was in New York too, Tom. I didn't know you were in New York. That I Monday didn't know you Tuesday, were in New York. You missed two screenings of um, Wojnarowicz, Fuck You Faggot Fucker. I like, you could have come and seen it
1: twice. Oh, I would have loved to.
0: Yeah. Instead, on one of the nights, I went to see 6 which is this amazing... Well, first of all, they're saying it's the first musical, new musical since COVID because it was supposed to open when Broadway shut down. And it's the story. The six are the six wives of Henry VIII. Divorced, oh, beheaded, died. Divorced, beheaded, beheaded survived. survived. And that's like the, the hook of the opening song. It's a musical. But it's not like a Broadway musical in the sense of a, a Broadway musical. The Six Wives, uh, the Six Wives come on stage and they have a backing band who are called, uh, I think they're called the Ladies in Waiting, an all-girl backing band. And they are like a girl group of six and they are on tour, you're supposed to believe. And after they've done the opening number, they have a little chitty chat amongst themselves and they decide they're going to compete to decide which of the six wives of Henry VIII is really the true star, and as such, the leader of the of the leader of the girl group, the six, and so they each then do their individual numbers. So you can see, are they coming. dressed
2: in period pieces? Is that what it is?
0: They are fabulous. They have taken each of the six wives of Henry VIII, given them that each their own story based on a nugget of the truth. Like for example, um, Anne Boleyn's song is "Sorry Not Sorry." And uh, Anne of Cleves, she's kind of like a Nicki Minaj character. Um, (laughs) My favourite. Yeah, Anna of Cleves. She gets this fabulous Gaga-esque introduction at the House of Holbein. H-A-U-S, House of Holbein. Because Henry VIII picked her by looking at Holbein portraits. He never met her. She was shipped off from Germany. She arrived, met Henry VIII, took one look at her, and he was like, ugh, he felt he'd been misled. And so... you said that I had tricked you because I didn't look like my profile picture. And she is amazing. She like lives in a castle and has this fabulous life. She's like, I don't care if you don't like me, fine. And so all of the wives have their own different story and what they've perfectly, they have distilled the essence of pop music perfectly. So one of them, Catherine Howard, is like Ariana Grande. And one of them is like Beyonce. And all the songs that they sing are, are just sort of, they're not copies but the sort of the DNA of the songwriting is perfectly transcribed. And the
1: lyrics are so witty. Mm. I saw this in the UK, the first season of Drag Race UK. Oh. So it's come from Britain, as has yeah. company. They're both playing there. So time's caught up with us. I, you know, because I like to make things about me when they're not about James. And that is, um, it's a rusical. It's a RuPaul's it Drag Race rusical yes. on Broadway. And ben it's Reed like... Still- if the Spice Girls had all married Henry VIII. And then ah, ah. Brilliantly put, brilliantly put. Brilliant. Did you love it, Tom? I enjoyed it a lot. I went with my friend, Johnny, who you met, who's a bit more uh, traditionalist. And he, he thought it was awful. And I thought, it, all I was thinking was like, we can make money. I was thinking, kaching, ching This is a rusical. Like I we should- be It,
2: it is a rusical.
0: There. And I will say this. I think, I mean, bless them. Toby Marlowe and Lucy They're both in their twenties, makes you sick. Uh, they've got this huge international hit. I think they're like 27. They went to Cambridge, they met in the uh, they went to the Edinburgh Festival fringe with this. I mean, it's a kind of like success out of the box that you dream of. And that of course there's gonna be a movie, and but I will say this, and this yeah. is said with love, because I'm hoping to meet them very soon, and Tom, you'll be in that meeting, I hope. Good. It owes a huge debt to drag race. A huge debt. In in the best possible way, and they even talk about herstory and they talk about queen'spiration. So you know, and I think what a great thing to do to take a historical subject and drag it up and just put
1: it in a sort of modern idiom. It's really great, James. You I think you, you ever see the uh, herstory of uh, the baddest bitches uh, in, in herstory with with our with Alaska playing uh, Eve, who sound just like Britney Spears. You know, we you know, so I love you- it. I, I think it, you, should do, you should do your own Six Wives of Henry VIII. It's a Drag Race Challenge. Um, yes, we're talking to Brett about bigger bigger things. Bigger oh, things. We'll oh, be coming to you <laughs> soon.
0: All right. Okay. That is number... Uh, that was number eight. Yeah. Um, Fourteen queens. We're going to take a break. Fourteen queens are competing for the title Queen of the Universe. Um, hosted by Graham Norton, streaming now on Paramount And if you want to wait a couple of months, it's coming to WoW Presents Plus. But for now, you have to get Paramount Plus. You're listening to the WoW Report on Radio Andy. I'm your fan, I'll follow you. Wonders wow, before things that make us go wow. Welcome back to the wow report. I'm Fenton Bailey here with Tom Campbell and James St. James and Blake. Yes, he does have a last name, Jacobs.
2: <laughs>
0: All right, we're counting down top 10 things that made us go wow. We've reached number seven,
1: Tom. Number seven. All right, I'm gonna fly through three more plays I saw because I was out of control. I saw the Acclaim, the Lehman Trilogy. That is three hours long. It's three hours long. It gets a tiny... At the end, I was late to have dinner with my friend Johnny, so I was a little bit like, okay, get okay, wrap it up, wrap it up. But it's beautifully... I believe Sam Mendes is the director. I have to look things up. It wouldn't be great if I did any research. Um, I was in the second row. The set... Was It starts off in 2008 with Lehman Brothers shutting down because of the crisis, and then it flashes back to the beginning. They started off as German immigrants, three brothers, one at a time, came to, through New York and then went to um, Montgomery, Alabama, where they started their fortunes uh, in a little cotton fabric store. Then the, the cotton fields burnt down, and they, they uh, sold supplies to the plantations this is all before the civil war and were able to get a piece of their crop from that. They realized, Oh my gosh, you can make money selling cotton to the industrialists in the North. So they became middlemen and they, they get, they got all of the plantations to give them their cotton for deals. And then they didn't realize that it was about other markets. Like, And they moved to New York and it was about coffee and all these different markets. And then it became a bank and then they helped create the stock market, which wasn't about actual commodities being with them. It was about the numbers of them. And then things got faster and faster and ended up with this consumerism and all, you know, it's it's, but it's brilliantly done. It's kind of like a really, really entertaining, poetically stated Wikipedia page. And uh, if, this,
2: I don't think anything about this sounds interesting. I'm sorry. I'm doing, I'm doing terrible three three hours this. I'm bored after three minutes.
1: <laughs> All right, good. So next, <laughs> I went to see, in a very different vein, a, a matinee of Ain't Too Proud, The Story of the Temptations, which I knew would not be Shakespeare, but it did have beautiful, talented Broadway actors and actresses singing the hits of Motown. And it brought me great joy part of it too. And it was like a Wikipedia page. It was sort of like, and then Mr. Gordy told us we weren't going on stage. You know, it was like, it's very like, just tell you some plot and then do a number. But I was fine with that. By the end, all of the temptations who you know died of this or died of that, this disease only one is left and everyone's sort of weeping and they sing three great songs in a row and you're really happy. It's a hit. Motown for some reason, wasn't a hit. Ain't You proud to beg is a hit. And, um, and I enjoyed it. And the audience was filled with young people, old people, black people, white people. And that made me happy. Last but not least, Flying Over Sunset, a brand new musical that James James Lupine at the Lincoln Center, that James Lupine, who's worked with Sondheim a lot on Sunday in the Park with George, who's up there. This seems like a very personal project that I'm not sure translated. But Claire Lewis Booth, James knows who that is, experimented with LSD in the 50s. So did Cary Grant with his therapist. So did, um, and I always mispronounce his first name, the author of Brave New World, Adolph. Aldous Huxley. Huxley. Thank you. They did not do it together. This musical, a musical on acid, literally, introduces all three of them in the first act. And then they decide at a fictitional meeting at the uh, Brown Derby that they'll all do it together in Babe's backyard. And so they or Claire, Claire, Claire Lou's backyard and they do it. And it's maybe one acid trip too much, but it was exquisitely um, uh, staged and acted. It was, it was just pristine, but not, it didn't really move forward plot wise very much flying over sunset. This an acid trip, a music on acid. Well, I suppose
0: it shouldn't really move forward in a linear plot like way, right?
1: Because everybody's Right. But it you know, and again I was in the second oh, row. Does,
2: does the Cary Grant guy do a good Cary Grant? I mean
1: it's it's Tony Yazbek and he does not he cho- he chooses not to do a dead-on Cary Grant impersonation, for better or worse. Dead but on. there's a lot of tap dancing and this man's thighs and buttocks. But, uh,
2: but doing Cary Grant is like low hanging fruit I mean it's sort of an easy one to do I, And if you I, do it bad It sort of it's, it reflects poorly on you
1: Well that's what my friend Johnny thought
2: okay. I'll put it
0: on Johnny Alright thank you for that Broadway Roundup let's go on to number Six James
2: Number six well, this one is for you, Tom. This one is something that um uh we need to talk about, and i you need to get on board with because it was a Rita Palooza last week, Rita moreno uh there was a documentary that came out on Netflix. She was on sixty minutes, and West Side story is getting she's getting a lot of Oscar buzz for it, so she is back, baby and i watched the documentary i watched the, the 60 minutes thing too but the documentary is really fascinating because she's talking to the camera she's it's it's basically her telling her story and she's talking reflecting on 50 years in hollywood 50 years in show business and she doesn't like looking back on it she there is very little in her career that she is proud of she faced so much racism Early on, those first 20 years uh, in Hollywood, she was always playing in brown face, she was playing island girls, she was playing Native Americans, she was play- like anytime there was a, a, a role that was not Caucasian, she was she was but she, she played Asian in yep. um, yeah, The King and the King I, I yeah, she's always in these little pigeon accents, really, really, you know it's real reductive real sad and she's not proud of a lot of that work and it isn't until west side story that she has something that she can be proud of but um she won an oscar uh, for that and even after that she was still back to doing crap movies crap roles and crap movies she also talks about how she was um the studio made her go out on studio dates studio arranged dates and she was sexually uh attacked she was raped she was violated she um didn't have the agency to say, I, I you can't do this to me. She was a, a woman in Hollywood. So she looks back on it and she's she's pretty bitter about it. And it's very sad to hear her say how you know, you think that you needed all of that to get to where she where you are now. You need all of that before you can have You know J. -J Lo opening movies and things. It's just one of those things. Like um, you know Hattie McDaniel. You had to get through Hattie McDaniel to get to Dorothy Dandridge or Eartha Kitt or Halle Berry or whoever. You know, I mean, like you, it's 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 small steps. But she, it's for her to go through it is very sad. Um, she's very happy. You know, then Oz comes along, revitalizes her career late in her career. And then now she's one day at a time. She's very happy there. She's very happy with West Side Story. So it, it ends up being happy. And she ends up wanting to tell girls to, you know, to stand up for yourself and to, you know, always have agency and everything. It's just a fascinating documentary. And it's, but it's sad that that yes. someone who's so legendary can't look back on her career with pride.
1: Well, we throw around the words like pioneer and trailblazer. Yes. But, but you're reminded how much... Injury and yeah. trauma and and how much, hurt. How much
2: Yeah, how much trauma is on that trail that goes with really? that? Yeah, yeah, God yeah. bless her. So it's I love her, thing. and um, if you just want to watch the sixty minutes thing, it sort of encapsulates all. I will. All of I watched that. both.
1: Yeah. I, you know, I saw her at the at the Catalina Bar and Grill a couple of years ago. You know, yeah. she's, she's what ninety? She's like yeah. up there, right? Uh-huh. I think she's sixty years in show business. Not, you know, I think she's, she's been around so, forever. Yeah, nineteen
2: fifty, I believe, was her first movie.
1: But uh, yeah, but she's just amazing, and and the thing about her to be superficial is she didn't age. Wait, no, age. seventy
2: years. Hold on, that that seventy, yeah, fifty, yes, nineteen fifties, that seventy yeah. years in showbiz.
1: She, there, there, was some point in her career where I recognized in the seventies, and I became aware of her that she just stopped aging. There was like thirty years where later, and around just,
2: electric company. Yes, she's very proud of her electric company too. Hot that. Body, great hair, beautiful face, and just looked that
1: way for thirty years. She does. She still looks good. Yes. She still does not look 90, but she is an amazing, you know, uh, force of nature. I love her. So
2: and much. it's funny because you see her still to this day. I don't think she gets the respect that she probably deserves because she's going to events and she's doing her own makeup. And she's putting, you know, picking out, you know, buying outfits like you see her shopping and like nobody is coming to her styling her. You know, it's just it's very sad that she deserves more than she gets, I think. But she mm. is a legend and we love her. We love her. And if she gets nominated, it will be the first time anyone has been nominated, I think, for the same role in in a, mo- in a movie, in a movie remake. Uh, no, 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 no. I, I think for the same movie and in the movie and the remake. Same movie. Kate, She's not Anita
1: in this, I don't think. Yeah,
2: um, but Kate Blanchett, of course, played, was won twice for playing Queen Elizabeth the first.
0: Marina Marino. Just a Girl Who Decided to Go For It is streaming on Netflix. Great. Number five. Number five. Another play. It's all about Broadway. Yes. Um, this was called Dana H. I have never seen anything like it in my life. Straightforward stage, like a sort of motel room in Florida, pastel colors, single chair in the middle, someone sitting on that chair. And before there's a little kind of diatribe at the top that's on like a video screen where they basically say, this is a real life true story. And the actress, Deirdre O'Connell, is playing the part of Dana H., who so happens to be the playwright's mother. And it isn't really a play written in the traditional sense in that it consists entirely of interviews with the playwright's mother, in which she tells the most harrowing, creepy, spooky, bizarre, true-life story that happened to her. And well, she, she was an extraordinary character. She was um one of those people who ministers to people at the end of their life. And, you know, would just literally just send hundreds of people on their way at a nursing home. And in the course of this, she came across this... Hitler? No. Uh, what? What is the um? Nazi. Uh, the, what is the white power organization? Um, white I
1: mean,
2: supremacists. Cool um, the Proud Boys. The
0: not the Proud Boys. Sorry, you're gonna have to.
2: Aryan Nation.
0: Yes. Aryan Brotherhood. Yes. He was a fugitive, as it were, from the Aryan Brotherhood. Terrible life ended up in a psych ward. She goes to help him, he gets released, he ends up breaking into her home, and there is the most harrowing five months that follows. I don't want to give it all away, but what's all that aside, the entire show is lip synced. The actress, Deirdre O'Connell, is lip syncing to these tapes of the playwright's mother telling this story. And you think when they tell you this at the beginning, well, this isn't going to be so great. But, oh, my God, The if ever anyone ever doubted the power of lip-syncing to somehow yeah. elevate or transform something, go see this. Like, 90 minutes, no intermission, everyone was on the edge of their seat watching her tell this story. And you forget that she's lip-syncing, you know? and it, I, I just don't want to give away what happens in the story, but it's, it's you know... She made the mistake, I guess, of taking him home for Christmas when he was first released because he had nowhere to go. So then he knew where she lived. And it just descends into a maelstrom of just horror. And the extraordinary thing is...
1: Did you see that I was lip-syncing to what Fenton was yeah. saying? I,
0: <laughs> I wasn't feeling it. Think it's <laughs> the, extraordinary, the extraordinary thing is that Lucas Hanaf, who's the playwright, and whose mother is Dana Higibotham... He never actually interviewed her about it. She finds this whole story so traumatic. She's never been able to speak to any of her family or loved ones. And in fact, after this whole thing went down and after it was all over, she kind of cut herself off from her entire family. And he sent a, a colleague in the theater world down to Florida to interview her. And that's what this play consists of. These cassette tapes of her telling her story. It is it's the most extraordinary thing, and it, it. What's amazing about it is it doesn't follow, you know. I guess narrative generally sees you know you got to have a, a a redemptive arc and someone you're rooting for, and this doesn't follow any of those patterns. And
2: it's, well, aren't you rooting for her to get away from him for after absolutely the five absolutely? You're
0: months? rooting for her, but it, it isn't like um, the, you. Uh, yes, you're right, James, and you'd expect to after that to have a redemptive moment or some sort of stronger new, narcissism. Or some sort of appreciation. It's None of that, none of that, none of that. Instead, she, like I say, separates herself completely from her family. And it's almost like she's holding this trauma herself. And maybe this was the way she released herself from it. I, I have to read more about, you know, the, the genesis of it, how it came to be, but it's absolutely, it was, it was absolutely unbelievable. Incredible.
1: I want to see it. Yes.
0: Oh, and it wrapped production on November 28th. So you'll have to wait for the next production.
1: Okay.
0: Um, by the way, The Bitch Who Stole Christmas, speaking of lip syncing, The Bitch Who Stole Christmas premiered last night on VH1. And it's one of, I, I think there's only like 145 Christmas movies this year. You don't need to watch any of the others. 144. Mm-hmm. You need to watch *The Bitch Who Stole Christmas*, starring, of course, RuPaul, who is amazing, and a zillion drag queens, and Krista Rodriguez, and hey,
1: everybody, everybody who ever yeah, wanted loads to be on loads of people, loads of And 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 I have to imagine—I don't know how this works, but it has to be on demand. It has to be on demand. So if you've missed it, just go—you know—you still have cable. Go on demand. Find it. Find it. I will tell you, it's coming to One Percent
0: Plus in March.
1: So just—if you want to oh. hold on. <laughs> Christmas came late this year. <laughs> I believe you can stream it on the VA, on VH1 if, with your cable subscription. Thank, Thank you. you. Um, I have a question. Since this is our Broadway show, I guess all about Broadway. Don't sound too enthusiastic. <laughs> <laughs> What's our? What is the longest running Broadway show ever? All right, we'll be right back after the break. You're
0: listening to the Wire Report on Radio Andy. Welcome back to the WoW Report. I'm Fenton here with Jane St. James and
1: Tom Campbell and Blake. Hi. Um, I asked, what is the longest running Broadway show of all time?
2: Well, Tom, I know you know the answer, and I'm going to also ask you though, isn't Mousetrap the longest running play? Didn't Mousetrap off-Broadway for something like 50 years? Oh Actually, I think God. it's yes. in the
0: West End, James, and it's it is, still it's running. It's still going, it's right? It's mean, yes. been on my entire life.
1: It's older than I am. I think it used to be years. I, I'm guessing. I think it used to be My Fair Lady Forever, but I think now it's Phantom of the Opera.
2: I'm going to say Les Mis. Well, maybe. Okay, Phantom or Cats or Les Mis. I don't know.
0: Benton Benton, guess oh you know my my thing I was going to do mousetrap but I
1: realized it's West End (laughs) it's the Phantom of the Opera it opened January 26th
2: 1988 and there have been 13,408 performances
1: and the chandelier has fallen that many times
2: I think my mother saw 12,000 of those performances my mom loved that show
0: Oh my gosh. But we are having a bit of a Broadway binge and we have reached number four uh, of the things that made us go, wow, Tom. Number
1: four. I'm going to take you from Broadway to off, off, off Broadway as in Brooklyn. I am, on the last night I was there, Friday night, my friend Johnny caught a cold and did not go with me. And he he goes, I really want you to see this thing called, and maybe you've heard of it, it's been around for a while, The Nutcracker Rouge which is done at the XIV, like Roman numerals 14 theater in Brooklyn. Don't ask me where I just, I just spent a lot of money on Ubers to get there. And I thought like, oh, it's supposed to be, it's supposed to be like um, cabaret meets uh, burlesque, which always, and then it sounds dirty because it's in Brooklyn. And those are my least favorite things in the world. And I was going, cause Johnny said, <laughs> Johnny said, go, it'll be fun. And then he gets sick. And then I'm like, oh my God, do I have to go? And then his friend, Jono, who's fantastic uh, uh, and is a puppeteer, has worked, anyway, he's worked with uh, Basil Twist and all kind of stuff and worked with Johnny. So I've met him there. Um, you're greeted. And this, I guess they have a theater there and it's, it's year round and they do like four different shows. And this is the holiday show. And um, you're greeted by lots of men and women in like, bejeweled G-strings, necklaces, high heels, beards, and faux fur coats open, you know, to reveal everything. And you talk to people, you think, well, this must be the, the sort of the wait staff, and I'm going to see different people on stage. They're one and the same. And every you're, we're in a little love seat. Everyone is there. It's, again, a very eclectic group of people. It's clearly famous. And bottom line, you know how, like, burlesque is supposed to be sexy, but never is? It's sexy. It, without having to say it, and there are strippers who climb the walls with their big strong legs, and there's this one guy, and I can't say his name, but he juggles and strips, and I fell in love with him. He had a,
2: <laughs>
1: and and they come in, you know, in the aisle. There's aerial acts, all the things I think are usually just awful, and it works. And the opening number, um, it's 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 very loosely based on the Nutcracker Suite. I say, know.
2: is it the Nutcracker music?
1: Yes, but 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 it'll be all done jazzy, and they you know they play a lot of tracks, and it goes up and down again. There's never a redundant moment or a repetitive moment or a dull moment. Like it really is well paced, and they have little breaks. And literally, the the, the juggler who uh, stripped is now selling you shots, which I don't indulge in, but it was like hilarious in his green bejeweled thong. And it's just, it's all too t- delicious. And they're all such amazing bodies and dancers. But when they come at the beginning, they do sort of like they're on toe, but because they have huge high heels on and you realize there's little tutus and you're, that's when you first see it. Oh my God, there's lots of thongs. And then it's like men and women. And so it's like peekaboo male butt, peekaboo female butt. And suddenly you think like, I am i am polyamorous. I, I could do anybody here. It's just sexy in a way that's not, It is in your face, not in a disgusting way. And they are wearing the proper, you know, undergarments and things, but it's so sexy and so fun. And I I was so afraid of it. And it was a blast. If you haven't heard of it, I guess it's been around forever, but it's Nutcracker Rouge in Brooklyn Theater XIV and Run, Don't Walk. It's a hoot. And and it's it's a place to go with friends. Uh, The bit next to me was like, I felt like the dad, his second wife and their son and everybody's having a great time. (laughs) <laughs> it's, it's running through january
0: 30th so it's been time to go see it too
1: yeah it, it's seasonal but it's not so christmasy I, I would see it whenever you could it's it, and no. i can't wait i going to go back and see what they do the rest of the year and they're, they're all strippy type shows are they all the rest of the year it's like sexy stuff sexy and but you know there's 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 just stuff that blows your mind and and and, and, and again just super talented mm. out there it's it's felt like a new world in in the best way. It felt very uh, retro true. and cool and modern at the same time. Hmm. All right,
0: number 3, James. Number 3.
2: Well, I was going to talk about the Omicron variant, which sounds like a Michael Crichton novel. It's <clears throat> <is throat> terrifying. It's here and it's it I don't know if you saw this week it landed in California. It's yes. on our shores. But then I found something even more terrifying in the news. In on, in the Telegraph, in the in you know the British tabloid Telegraph, they were talking about um, the world's first living robots have started to reproduce. They are self replicating machines called Xenobots, which is even a scarier name than than Omicron. The Xenobots are coming for you. Um, they are microscopic animal machine hybrids um, that. Uh, um, uh, scientists have put into Petri dishes with this embryos from uh, African clawed frogs. And the embryos, they they scrape up all the the... I, I don't even know how to explain this. I don't even know. But somehow the machines, these xenobots, are replicating. They are giving birth to baby bots. And the baby bots are supposedly... They are, um, scientists hope that someday that it will help to clear plaque from arteries, that these microscopic self-replicating things will clear, will, you'll send them into arteries and clear, and they will also be able to help remove toxic microplastic from the oceans and they will help. But the. thing is is that they can also if they can replicate they can also repair themselves and if they are damaged or torn and i don't know that that's a road we want to go down because that sounds like terminator right there where you 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 blast them you think you're killing them and they just replicate you know reproduce themselves and make themselves. So it just it all sounds very terminator and scary in skynet and uh, the It world says of
0: here they can walk and swim, survive for weeks without food and work together in groups.
2: Yeah, 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 I'm telling you if omicron doesn't get us the xenobots <laughs> will.
1: They so. sound like they sound like world of Wonder should hire them like that.
2: <laughs> <laughs> right, replace all of us. <laughs>
1: I'm Vin and Bailey, and welcome to The
2: Wow
0: Report with Xenobot 1 and Xenobot 2.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right. Oh, shit. Um, that's scary, James. Number two.
2: Number two.
0: I saw a terrible movie, and I was going to save it for Bar Humbug, but it's too long to wait, and I'm just a, just a volcano of malice about this whole House thing. House of Gaga? No. I saw Spencer.
1: What is oh that? Oh, oh, oh the, Di- the, the Princess Di movie. Yes, Kristen Stewart, who, I mean, it's what it, What do they call it, a
0: fable from a true tragedy. So Lady Di goes off to spend a
2: weekend at Sandringham. How Christmas often Rico. do we need to hear this damn story about, I, I'm so tired of Lady Di, Princess
0: and, Di? And start off with, she's driving herself alone. So that's a fable, because that wouldn't happen. And she gets lost. And she walks into cafe and says, oh, I'm lost. I don't know where I am. You know, symbolic, right? She's lost. Doesn't know who she is. She's lost the part. Things go from bad to worse. It's all about the food that they're having. Because, of course, she had anorexia and bulimia and eating disorder. And I tell you, I mean, a lot of it is true in the sense that, yes, it talks about her eating disorders. And it talks about um, her uh, wanting to throw herself downstairs and... Um, cutting herself but the, the problem is the royal family don't say anything ever so you don't get a sense of like unless you know already the story and how terribly treated she was well, you get none of that
2: know at this point though well That's-
0: i know and you get none of that in the movie so it just seems she just seems very Self-obsessed and very complainy, which I don't think is the intention of the filmmaker. But
2: I believe in real life that she probably was in te- in nasty and, and self-obsessed and needy. A little bit. But, think, but my, James... on, but my point here is yes. is that right now we have CNN doing their series about it. We have Diana the Musical. We have Diana. We have Spencer. It's this glut of just information that we've already had and already chewed over for 30 years now.
1: Mm-hmm. The, the robots are replicating themselves and they're making Diana, Diana, Princess Diana things. I never, I've never been that compelled by her. The part that always makes me sad and made me sad was the picture of a beautiful mother who is taken from her children. That yeah. always, like, makes me cry now when I think about it. It's just something in me. But... Her shenanigans, her marrying, like I've never really been deeply into, and I get the symbolism of her and her her beauty and what she, and the age thing. I get all that.
2: You know, she wasn't stylish. People say, oh, she was so stylish. She was as frumpy as as Queen Elizabeth and Princess Mar. I mean, well, and she never
1: said anything. She never said anything quotable. When she passed away, there was not one thing that she said that you could quote.
0: Well, I think that's very interesting actually. And, and the interesting, because since your performance isn't really that yeah, Diana say, specific. It's,
2: it's, people are saying that she's Oscar bound. Is she Oscar no, bound? No, she's
0: not Oscar bound. She is not Oscar bound because it isn't really that accurate to Diana, well, number yeah, one. But you're the and guy she actually, who
2: says that Gaga's going to win. She so. delivers
0: every single line in the same way. It's like, <laughs> she just spits out, all, they. It's like, it's on and on. It's so repetitive, I tell you. The, my favourite bit was actually being in the kitchens and, and hearing the fabulous menus that they were having for Christmas meal, because the chef is counting them out as a counterpoint to her eating disorder, and um, they seem quite delicious. Um, and at one point, when she is about to throw herself down, and says, and "You wish she would." She's um, the ghost of Anne Boleyn appears.
2: So, and we're tying it up with a bow, as we always do. What goes around? So
0: I know. I know. Alright. Okay, I'll wrap it up. Um Priscilla, Chiara, Tommaso are the judges of Drag Race Italia, streaming now on Wow Presents Plus worldwide. Watch it if you dare. It's really good. Uh when we come back, we'll reveal the number one thing this week that made us go the most wow. Well. Oh,
2: Pursuit of all values, other than money, success, fame,
1: glamour,
0: has either been discredited or destroyed. You're listening to World of Wonders, WOW Report. Things that make us go WOW. And welcome back to the WOW Report. I am Fenton here with James and Tom and Blake. And we've been counting down the top 10 things that make us go,
2: wow, we've reached number one. Number one. And- I Wait, hold on, Tom. Before we do, I want to say, before we get into our number one, that the fashion community lost two people this week that um, were giants in the industry. We lost Virgil Abloh from Louis Vuitton, who by all accounts was a genius and a revolutionary. We also lost a legendary legend, Adolfo, who um, was a society designer and and Nancy Reagan's great go-to. And I would talk on and on about both of those, but we do need to get to the big, the big one that we lost this week.
1: And and again, no disrespect to those people and may they rest in perfection. The, The big news that's touched so many people, it's big in the gay community. It's big in the theater community. It's big in the world is the passing of Stephen Sondheim, who is being called the Shakespeare of the broad of Broadway, which isn't, You know, when you start to read his accomplishments, we always knew them, but it's like you talk about sort of threading into the fabric of life. He wrote the lyrics for West Side Story. He wrote the lyrics for Gypsy. He wrote, you know, Funny Thing Happened on the Way to the Forum. And then all of his innovative plays, he never repeated himself. Company, I'm Still Here. You know, uh, Send in the Clowns is a song he wrote. Um, A Little Night Music. A Little Night Music. Thank you. Um, And just so prolific and you know, and and so witty, and often times criticized for being a little too acerbic. Uh, but again, seeing Company uh, some 50 years after it was first staged, and realizing that it still resonates so deeply, and and it's such an emotional ride. Um, he had seen uh, Company, and there's another play of his that's out right now, which I forget at this moment. He'd seen both of them last week. He uh, had Thanksgiving dinner, and I guess he, he he passed rather suddenly on Friday, you know, in his 90s. But uh, you know, and what's coming out, everybody has a story, which is very social media. But he was incredibly generous with his uh, with with other people and uh, sharing his wisdom and encouraging people to move on. He was. Early uh, encouraged by Oscar Hammerstein, and 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 he sort of passed that on. And it's just, it's kind of. I don't know
2: if Tom, if you've watched Tick Tick Boom yet, but um, it's on Netflix, and he is a character in that, and he was a great uh, he encouraged Jonathan Larson to write Rent, and so he's a he's you you see his giving character and how he comes to the rehearsals, he and he offers no, and he's just he by all accounts he did that with young playwrights and young, you know, composers. He was there for them. I just want to go through very quickly and say, you know, Gypsy into the woods, Sunday in the park with George, uh Sweeney Todd so many just great and he has very different periods in his in his work with different styles and different sometimes it's a little denser and sometimes it's more you know hummable and I saw on you know so many tributes from Bernadette Peters and Patty Lapone and Angela Lansbury and so many people saying how he was always there for them and he was you know he was he was so responsible for so many careers career making roles um, and someone said that Rose's turn is for white people. What um, I, and I'm telling you, I'm not going is to black people. And, Certainly. you know, someone tell me, when is it my turn? Don't I get a dream for myself? Yeah. And that's, that's what Merman
1: He's worked with everybody. So it's just, it's hard to say more than it's already been said. It's kind of, I'm kind of a lack for words, but it's, it's harder to imagine someone who is, uh, had more of an impact deep, emotional impact on the pop culture than 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 the Shakespeare of Broadway Stevenson and you
2: know what's interesting is he was 90s. Plus years old. How old was he? Something like that. And he was just as relevant this week as he's ever been in his life. He with Tick Tick Boom coming out, and people are sort of rediscovering who he was. Company opening and West Side Story yeah. is opening this week as well. So he was having a moment at ninety-one. And if you're gonna go out, go out on top when you when you are in your nineties. Yes, in your nineties, in your sleep. But when you are having a real moment in your career where everyone is, you know, loving you, and that's the way to go out.
1: Mm. We've still got 30-plus years in us, guys. Come on, let's keep going.
2: Please, no.
1: (laughs) Rest in perfection, Stephen
0: Sondheim. Uh, That's all we got time for this week. Thanks for tuning in to The Wow Report and Radio Andy. Previous episodes, you can get them on our YouTube channel, Wow Presents, and uh, God willing, uh, we'll see you same time, same place next week. Until then, go out and do something that makes the world go
2: wild.